Welcome to Today's Issues, offering a Christian response to the issues of the day. Here's your host, Tim Wildman, President of the American Family Association. And welcome to Today's Issues. I'm not Tim Wildman. I'm Ed Battagliano. Sitting in for Tim Wildman this week, he shall be be back in the captain's chair on Monday, I believe. I'm joined in studio by Fred Jackson. Fred, well, morning to you, Tim. Morning. To, yes, that's right. I, you know, I never know whether uh, my producer Brent Creeley is making a point. You know, by by not playing the intro that has my name in it. But um, what do you think, Chris? Chris Woodward joining us. What do you think? Is this was that Brent's fault? Do you think that was intentional? I will refer you to the Department of Justice <laughs> and the President's Counsel. Well, thank you. Corinne Jean-Pierre, thank you for that reference to somebody who won't give me an answer either. So, all right, folks, we have uh, we have a great show for you, like we do every single day we're on. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. Well, maybe it could get better. But we're going to have uh, at the bottom of the hour, Dr. Andy Miller, Vice President of Academic Affairs, an assistant professor of historical theology. Wow, that's not going to fit on a business card, not easily. Uh, we're going to have him talking about a, uh, a special conference coming up uh, about human sexuality in the family. Folks, there are people in this world and in this country who are not compromising on what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking to Dr. Miller about that. Also at... Uh, 1045, Dr. Alex McFarland. Well, that's two doctors in a row. I tell you. You guys are going to feel intimidated. Mm-hmm. I will. I had a Dr. Pepper today. Yeah, Dr. Pepper. Well, that qualifies you. <laughs> Dr. Alex McFarland, co-host of Exploring the Word. You've uh, That's a very popular show mm-hmm. on American Family Radio that airs on AFR every weekday at 3 p.m. Central Time. We're going to talk to Alex about a the possibility that a revival is starting in Kentucky, but more broadly, whether that is a short-lived revival or the beginning of something more extensive, we'll have to wait and see what God does. But we are going to talk to Alex about revival and about how, you know, the history of revival a little bit and how they get started. Is it simply a sovereign act of God? Can people pray and, in a sense, invite the activity of God in their home, their community, their church, their college. Uh, So anyway, we're going to be talking to Dr. Alex McFarland about that uh, at 1045. But we're going to start off with the news of the day. And Chris, you're going to get us started with that. Well, this is one of those days where you could pick uh, any number of topics and really kind of lead those. But let's begin with um, kind of reaction uh, to the um, hearing yesterday in Washington, D.C., Uh, House Republicans, as promised, they want to figure out uh, what exactly Twitter uh, did or did not do to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. And I have some audio here. This is a gentleman named Yoel Roth. He is the former Twitter head of trust and safety, admitting on record in front of legislators that Twitter made a, quote, mistake in suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story. Clip one. The laptop that at first glance bore a lot of similarities to the 2016 Russian hack and leak operation targeting the DNC. And we had to decide what to do. And in that moment, with limited information, Twitter made a mistake. 
Under the distribution of hacked material policy, the company decided to prevent links to the New York Post stories about the laptop from being shared across the service. Now, before we get your guys' reaction on that, I want to play Congressman uh, Pat Fallon. He's a Republican out of Texas that does not buy this was just some little mistake and oopsie clip two. Well, yeah, the FBI was again, they should be playing no role whatsoever in, in this. And they kept using a dodge by saying, well, we're trying to fight foreign interference in the election cycle when ironically they were the ones that were interfering with the election cycle. I mean, the Hunter Biden laptop story and the evidence that was in there, the, the, the media research center ran a poll and said in 17 percent of Democrats of Democrats in key swing states would have changed their vote. President Trump needed 100,000 people people that uh, 100,000 vote swing that's a potential of 3.2 million uh, p- a person swing and they twitter changed and altered the 2020 election that went a little bit beyond how i set it up but you have somebody from twitter used to be uh saying this was a mistake and then a congressman saying you know a, a whole bunch of people including fbi agents were in cahoots with twitter to prevent this from getting out there and uh swaying the election who was the congressman we just heard pat there? fallon of texas pat fallon uh, well, Fred, look, I, I agree with uh, Congressman Fallon that um, the it, it is – I don't know. I'm not always sure what irony is, but it sounds ironic to me that the claim was from Twitter that we were trying to prevent uh, an outside force from – speaking of Russia – from interfering with the election when Twitter – was interfering with the election. Now, just because it's based in the U.S. doesn't mean they have more of a right to interfere than Russia. We shouldn't have anybody interfering with the election. And it also just sounds so convenient for Twitter to say it was a mistake. However, that mistake very possibly, maybe even very likely, changed the election. So what's the old expression? It's uh, better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. It sounds to me like Twitter was going to err on the quote-unquote side of safety in order to protect the campaign of Joe Biden and then afterwards just say, oh, we're so sorry that happened when the election is now done and over with. Yeah, that was a common uh, refrain across the table yesterday. There are three or four ex Twitter officials, one of these officials, I think, was the chief counsel for Twitter, uh, a lady. Mm -hmm. Uh, She got a very nice exit check when uh, she was fired by Elon Musk to the tune of some $12 million. Is this a uh, uh, Vigia Gotti? Yes, yeah, 12 million bucks. Uh, She really is hurting. Um, You know, the the testimony was pretty consistent from what the clip that of Yoel Roth that Chris just played. You know, we, we made a mistake. You know, there's a Greek term for that testimony yesterday from those ex-Twitter officials, the poppycock. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, that's, that's what fits. Yoel Roth, very interesting character. Uh, he was called on the carpet at one point yesterday uh, for at one point, I think he tweeted out that Republicans are a bunch of Nazis. Right. Uh, same guy. And, uh, and he did apologize for that. It was also noted by the Republicans on that committee yesterday that the employees, prior to Elon Musk, the employees of Twitter, um, over 90% of them contributed to the Democratic Party. So Twitter, former Twitter, was all in on the Democratic Party. Right. The other thing I found interesting yesterday, one of the other ex-Twitter employees, James Baker, 
Now, James Baker is the guy who was one of the uh, lawyers. I think he worked for the FBI right. at one point. And uh, when he was asked about, uh, from the Republicans on the committee, whether there was a, a, ever a communication between the Justice Department of Joe Biden's Justice Department and Twitter. And he said um, that comes under the heading of uh, lawyer-client privilege. Now, when if you've got nothing to hide, that's one of the things you go to. You plead the fifth right. or you say, you know, I'm a lawyer. I was representing these people and, you know, I, I can't say anything about that. To me, that was admission of guilt that there was plenty of communication between the Biden Justice Department, hmm. the FBI and Twitter with regards to the story about Hunter Biden's uh, laptop. And they just decided, you know what, if we put this out there a few days before the election, it's going to hurt the Democrats, our friends, the Democrats. So we're just not going to do it. And I'm sure there was a meeting before this hearing yesterday, and they all sat around a table and they said, here's what our story is going to be. Here's what, how we're going to respond to these things. Okay, guys? Okay, this, this is the way we're going to treat this, and uh, we'll have a good day. And we know the mainstream media, they'll be on our side. You know what? I read stories this morning on this, and guess what? Right. You they're know, on their side. Yep, they're on their side. And uh, uh, the, the story, the Associated Press story I was reading basically said this, you know, and they talked to people who said the Republicans, they're, they're just out for revenge. That's all. This is not important. AOC, I think, was, on the, mm-hmm. is, uh, was a Democrat member of this committee yesterday, and right. she was screaming, you know, we should be spending time on abortion rights and transgender rights. We shouldn't be involved with this nonsense about a Hunter Biden laptop. Half true, she said. Half, yeah. It's only half true, Yeah, which, as a lot of people have been pointing out, what? so you're saying if it's half false, it's half true, then that means there's some truth. Listen. I, I, I think it is clear that after Donald Trump shocked the world in 2016 and won the presidency, it is clear from what happened afterwards, leaked videos inside Twitter, inside Facebook, communications. It, it was clear that big social, as, a, as an institution, had decided we're not going to let this happen again. Yeah. I mean, there was actual mm-hmm. audio of, of – uh, Top personnel within big social saying that yes. this is not going to happen again mm-hmm. because they saw themselves as being the defenders of the quote unquote progressive movement and they were going to make sure he did not get in again. I have I have little doubt. I mean, from Mark Zuckerberg spending millions of dollars to drive up Democratic voting in big cities. Mm-hmm. OK, all this kind of stuff. Big social played a huge role in an election, claiming they were trying to keep outside forces from doing it, Mm -hmm. when in reality they wanted to make sure they were the ones tipping the scales. So uh, to to me, that's that's the big story of the 2020 election. All the other things that uh, we look at and we say this was suspicious, this was suspicious, okay, it was big social putting their thumb on the scales. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we'll ever know. Because you're going to find, like we, like you said, Fred, the, these Twitter officials, even some who are no longer there, they are legally trying to protect themselves mm-hmm. by all being on the same page and saying, we had a policy in place. We tried to uphold that policy. 
we probably did it for too long or it was eventually we thought it was a mistake. But that's after the election. They accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. And now they're saying, as you said, whoops. Yeah, that's all. And if anybody, if you want more proof Mm -hmm. prior to Elon Musk buying out Twitter. Right. He was a hero in the mainstream media. Yes. What an incredible guy. Look at all of the good things he's doing with the satellites and all that sort of thing. The moment that that was announced he was buying Twitter, he's going to fire a bunch of people. Right. And he allowed the uh, publication of the Twitter files. Yes. That gave us all the background on this. You... You know, if I was a bet man, brother Don yes. <laughs> said yeah. that for years. If I was a bet man, and I'm not, uh, you go ahead and you Google Elon Musk today. The news stories about Elon Musk mm-hmm. are 99.9% negative. Sure. They, now the mainstream media in bed with big social. Right. Now, they, now he's enemy number one. Yeah. Because of exposing what was going on to Twitter. Well, another example of that, too, uh, Democrats loved billionaire Donald Trump until he came down the escalator. Yes. And then literally right. they hated his guts. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, listen, uh, these Twitter officials and former Twitter officials aren't fooling. The only ones they're fooling, if, if anyone's fooled by this at all, are people who are already on board with them mm-hmm. tipping the scales. Yeah. All right. We all know. Every, all the left hated Donald Trump, and we are I, as sure as we can be that big social going forward is not going to be the friend of conservatives or Christians. Nope. And we're just going to have to consider them another institution in this country that has an agenda mm-hmm. and can't be trusted to be fair and balanced. And it's also important uh, why American Family Association has started its own streaming service. Right. Has its own news service. Has talk shows like this uh, because it provides an alternative. We got an email the other day. I'm not sure if you shared this um, or Jonathan, I think our our director of radio shared this from a listener who basically said, uh, you know, I'm not a religious man, but I trust you guys for my information. Right. You guys are getting the stories out there that I'm not getting anywhere else. And as I, I say, he described himself, I'm not a religious guy. Maybe I will be someday. And I'm sure we have a lot of those folks that listen to us. He was from New Hampshire. He was, yeah. Yeah, because I remember it was sent around, and he was from New Hampshire. That's where I did most of my growing up. Hmm. And uh, listen, I hope we reach a lot of people. Folks, you know, we have Sherathon coming up in April. That's I know it's a couple of months away still. But folks, remember, there aren't many institutions uh, of information, content uh, providers like American Family Association and American Family Radio. There are others, but that is a pretty small group. Mm -hmm. And we are providing something that is very difficult to get anywhere else. It is very unique, not only information and news that you're not going to get from the mainstream media, but from a Christian perspective. Uh, And that's uh, unique. And listen, we just believe that God raised this organization up through Brother Don Wildman, and we're doing our best to honor that mission and vision. All right, Chris. Well, um, people are still talking about uh, President Joe Biden uh, claiming this week at the State of the Union that Republicans want to cut Social Security to the point, and, you know, we played that clip yesterday. Um, and when he mentioned that at the State of the Union, a lot of people in the crowd, Republicans started booing, saying that's not true. And he went on to say, I'll show you the plan and all that stuff. 
Um, I have a clip here of Biden yesterday uh, in the Midwest claiming again that Republicans, many of whom say we're not cutting Social Security. Biden claimed again yesterday that the GOP does indeed want to cut Social Security. Clip five. Many of you have seen we've had a spirited debate last night (laughs) with my Republican friend. They seem shocked (laughs) when I raised the plans of some of their members and their caucus to cut Social Security. A lot of Republicans, their dream is to cut Social Security, Medicare. It's your dream, but I'm going to my veto pen, make it a nightmare. Now, before I play another clip, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has said several times this week, we're not cutting Social Security. It's off the table. It's not on the table. It's never it never was on the table. How many other times he has to say it? He'll he'll keep trying to clarify. Interestingly enough, and this is something that's popped up a couple of times going back 2020, maybe even before that, because he's run for president three times now. Um, Joe Biden himself has pushed for Social Security cuts going back to the 1990s, or as the kids say, back in the day. Clip six. I argued that we should freeze federal spending. I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice. I tried it a third time and I tried it a fourth time. Now, our president has been in some sort of public office for 50 years, so maybe he forgot. But you heard it himself. He himself wanted to make drastic changes to Social Security. And here he is uh, dragging the other people, his opponents, you know, through the mud, claiming they're doing something they say they're not doing. Well, listen, I would even allow for Joe Biden to say, I changed my mind. Okay, that's fine. All right, people, 50 years, he's been a professional politician that long. That's what he spent his whole life doing. Okay, so maybe he changed his mind. Okay, I'll, I'll allow that. Let him have that freedom to say. I changed my mind from when I did say that because he clearly did. Here's, but here's, here's what's happened in our politics, the political landscape over the last 10 years, but especially, especially with the election of Donald Trump, which seemed to send the left into orbit They've they lost their minds and have said things that maybe they thought and didn't say or only said at their cocktail parties with their buddies. Okay, they have gone insane when it comes to conservatives in this country. What I'm getting at is that when Joe Biden ran, he said, I'm going to be the uniter in chief. He has been so divisive. And what he said in the State of the Union address on Tuesday night. You know, years ago, they might have said, listen, there are proposals to to freeze increases to Social Security and Medicare because we need to get the budget. It's not a cut, but the left has characterized it as a cut. And I guess in a manner of thinking, if you're not going to increase Social Security by X percent, then you can maybe view that. But we're no longer having rational discussions. And Joe Biden is as much at fault as anyone. We're not talking about the budget. We're not talking about whether we're going to freeze increases. We're not talking about any of that. All we're doing, and and it's both sides, we're bomb throwing, and the American people are sick of it. So whoever comes down the pipe on the Republican side uh, to challenge Joe Biden, because it looks more and more like he's going to run for reelection, they need to be people who are willing to have rational discussions and uh, and and try to make a case for their policy initiatives because Joe Biden 
to repeat what he just said, mm-hmm. okay, it proves that he is all about dividing this country and keeping us divided and keeping the left angry so they'll come out to vote in 2024. And, folks, if that's where you're at, go ahead and vote for him a second time. Well, it's, also, it's not going to help this country. It's also playing to a certain constituency with a with an item that, that will resonate a reaction. So uh, Republicans are saying, no, we're not interested in cutting Social Security or right. Medicare. But he has to go to that constituency in order to scare them. Remember that ad, you know, Granny being rolled off, off the cliff mm-hmm. off the cliff what election was that 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 i think was uh, under bush under bush I, it goes back a while that. yeah yeah so i mean that's what they do joe biden is not going to go to the 50 plusers in this country right. saying hey what about my climate change plan right how do you like those gas mm-hmm. prices see what it's doing to cost you your breakfast every morning right. you're not going to go to them with that so he's got to go he's got to cook up something but it works yes this kind of stuff works because let's face it there are a lot of low-information voters in this country Yes, that do not – they don't listen to American Family Radio. They don't listen to Fox. They, they get their news from CBS, from MSNBC or CNN. They're going to hear that mantra constantly, Yes, and they're going to believe that Republicans want to take – listen, my wife's on Social Security. You think I want to cut it? I'm a conservative. I'm not advocating – you paid into it. I'm, yes, yeah. I paid into it. I want it back. The yeah. reforms that are being discussed are for people like myself or Brent, the ones that are paying for a program that is on a timetable that would appear it's not going to exist when we are eligible to draw from it. Nowhere in the plans are they talking about just literally cutting it to where nobody getting it. Nobody's right. going to get a check. If you're 85 years old, 75, whatever. You're still going to get your money. It is on a path to supposedly run out of money, but as Tim has pointed out many times when I've brought it up on the show, they're never going to just get rid of it because, as you guys are talking about, it's something both of them do campaign on. Ergo, they're never going to cut Social Security. This this country, unless some catastrophe overtook the world, is not going to allow senior citizens to starve in their homes. No. That's just not going to happen. So as long as we can keep printing money, uh, Social, Security. Social Security is going to exist for you guys, you younger guys. Uh, that's My son is 32. He's always saying, it's not going to exist for us. It's going to exist for you. Yeah. All right. You're paying into it. They'll, they will find a way to, to pay, pay for that, unless the world hits some sort of catastrophe. And then, then it's every man for himself. <laughs> uh, you'll, yeah. There will be a lot of uh, people starving if uh, that kind of zombie apocalypse hits if so. the lord tarries one day brent and i may be broadcasting from a random am signal in an undisclosed <laughs> bunker while we eat mres that we tree. bought from some you know cable channel and the dog food out of a can you always yeah. hear that those horror stories and that's not funny listen that there are there are there are elderly people who are malnourished and don't have enough and so the church needs to find who those people are and yes. take care of them and many do so uh kudos to those people or bless your heart in the good way yeah. we southerners do say it uh from time to time all right uh how, well, let's take, let's we go ahead and we'll go ahead and take our break. Uh, I don't want to cut something bit, off a little bit early because we're just about at the break now, uh, folks. When we come back, Dr. Andy Miller, who uh, is Vice President of Academic Affairs and Assistant Professor of Historical Theology, will be on to discuss uh, a um, conference that's going to be at Wesley Biblical Seminary here in our home state of Mississippi. 
and we're going to uh, give him an opportunity to discuss that issue. And then at 1045, Dr. Alex McFarland will be on. We're going to be talking about revival. Is there a current is there a revival beginning at Asbury Theological Seminary? Uh, we're going to find out, but uh, more broadly, we're going to talk about revival and awakenings in our nation because, folks, we don't have one of those. We're probably on a slow in a slow death spiral, like a lot of other major countries in world history. Join us after the break. Friendships is offering an exciting opportunity for young adults who want to grow in their walk with God, become physically fit, and learn relief ministry while serving in the Middle East. This is an amazing opportunity to serve God and experience Israel. Check out Seahawks one-year scholarship program at friendships.org or call 337-433-5022. That's 337-433-5022. The next session begins August 19th. And my father, your great-grandfather, fought in World War II. Really? He was a gunner on the big ship out in the Pacific Ocean. Wow. Your great-grandmother did her part, too. Was she on a ship? Oh, no. She stayed back home. She and a lot of her friends worked really hard in a factory because the men had gone off to war. And they held scrap metal drives to help in the war effort. The folks back home were heroes, too. Here at the American Family Association, we consider you the heroes back home. As you fulfill your responsibility of caring for your family day to day, your partnership with us is crucial as we fight the enemies of freedom in America. Thank you for your commitment to the American Family Association. Grandpa, what's a scrap metal drive? (laughs) Let's get some cookies and I'll tell you all about it. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Students in Howard County, Maryland, are being told to address their speciesism. Specifically, educators are concerned about youngsters who might oppress plants like daffodils and ferns. It was part of a broader lesson connected to Black Lives Matter. The students were given a worksheet that identified their privilege and oppression. Now, speciesism covers 13 types of oppression, including racism, sexism, classism, ageism, and adultism. So the question is why a public school is using Black Lives Matter propaganda in its classrooms. Teachers are supposed to be teaching, not recruiting. And why are we wasting precious time telling kids to be kind to bushes and trees? I guess owning a weed whacker triggered somebody in the school system. Who knows? But it sounds like Howard County, Maryland has a bumper crop of pansies this year. I'm Todd Starnes. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Ephesians 1:11. American Family Radio. This is Today's Issues. 
Email your comments to comments at AFR.net. Past broadcasts of today's issues are available for listening and viewing in the archive at AFR.net. Now, back to more of today's issues. And welcome back. Ed Vitagliano sitting in for Tim Wildman this week. I'm joined in studio by Fred Jackson and Chris Woodward. And now we want to welcome to the program Dr. Andy Miller, who is Vice President of Academic Affairs and Assistant Professor of Historical Theology at Wesley Biblical Seminary. Now, folks, you know we have a uh, AFR is a network of uh, 181 stations throughout, I think, 36 states. But our uh, flagship station is here in Mississippi, in Tupelo, Mississippi. We do have a number of radio stations throughout our state, but also the network is spread uh, across the country. So we do... Uh, we are interested in what happens in our, our own state. And uh, there is a controversy that has been going on throughout evangelical Christianity over the issues of human, sexu- human sexuality, marriage, gender. And it looks like a lot of churches are compromising on what the Bible says. But Wesley Biblical Seminary in Ridgeland, Mississippi, is not one of those. And so, uh, Dr. Miller, first of all, I want to welcome you to today's issues. Uh, thank you for being on with us. Yes, thanks for having me. It's so good to be with you. Well, I, we're just talking about the uh, the struggle that so many churches, so many seminaries, frankly, seem to be having over human sexuality. We uh, noted through Buddy Smith, our senior vice president, right. who has uh, ties to your seminary, uh, that you are having a gathering of scholars to address the question, is God's gift of sexuality mere human opinion or church dogma? So the first question I want to ask you, and then I'm going to ask Chris and Fred to jump in and and uh, query you with some more uh, on some more issues. Why is this necessary? <laughs> this yeah. seems like something that should, that is settled and has been settled for 2,000 years. Why is it necessary to have a uh, seminary uh, uh, host, a gathering of scholars to discuss this. Yeah, it's so interesting because our our role as a seminary is that we are developing trusted leaders to serve faithful churches. And as you probably know, there are many churches all around the country and world right now that aren't being very faithful, whole denominations. And often as we're training students and working with pastors and alumni, we come to a situation where people will say, well, Andy, you know, uh, as uh, this church is splitting and that church is splitting, we just have to realize that faithful Christians disagree on this matter. Now, that, that that's kind of an interesting statement because that puts us in a place where by just maybe getting along well in conversation, we're, we're just assenting to what others believe. But we're to kind of taking this bold statement because we're suggesting that this is not a faithful adherence to the way God has revealed himself in, himself in the Scripture and through the Scripture. And so we're suggesting through this conference with the host of scholars that we're bringing in from multiple disciplines to say that faithful Christians don't disagree on this matter. Now, we're not, say, we're not going to go to the place of calling somebody a heretic, but at the same time, we're willing to say very clearly that when we suggest that 
uh, somebody can live outside of God's very clear word about human sexuality, and that goes across the gamut, not just related to homosexual behavior or any of the LGBTQ agenda. This could be very clearly connected to people who are who are cohabitating or people who are involved in any sort of fornication. This is us saying that uh, accommodating there moves outside of the necessary requirements of what it means to be a Christian and making sure that we're clear that from our seminary and the pastors we train, they will see this as a necessary requirement. This is actually dogma, not just mere opinion. All right, so uh, Dr. Miller, uh, before I uh, have Chris Woodward and Fred Jackson uh, ask you some more questions on this subject, tell our listeners about this this. This weekend, so yeah. February tenth and eleventh, is this open to to the public? Who's going to be there? How can yeah. people access this? If is it something they can go online and watch, or watch after the fact? Let our listeners know about their potential participation in this very important conference. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for asking that clear question so I can make sure people can participate in this. If you go to our website, wbs.edu, wesleybiblicalseminary.edu, you can find out how you can participate in this conference. You can Zoom in with us, and we have a a whole page set up so people can participate. It costs $50 to be able to attend, but you'll get 10 hours of content from, we believe, kind of like the top lineup of scholars who have written on this subject from a variety of perspectives. So we have Old Testament New Testament scholars, and you probably, uh, some of you, I know some of your audience for sure will know the names. Our New Testament scholar coming to present is Robert Gagnon from Houston Christian University. Um, Then we have Michael Brown from Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, Old Testament scholar. A lot of times he functions more as an apologist. Uh, just in kind of daily life as a kind of a public Christian intellectual. I know he's done some projects with AFA as well, but um, he's coming as an Old Testament scholar to present on this theme. We have people who are experts in sexuality from every phase of Christian history, from patristics to medieval to Reformation period to the contemporary period. We have uh, folks coming in from a variety of perspectives, and that means also uh, perspectives of which denominations they're in. So all kinds of denominations are present in including tradition. So we have an Eastern Orthodox scholar who's coming in to suggest that this is dogma. We also have two Roman Catholic scholars who also will make that similar suggestion. So it's a beautiful moment for us to unite be, be, uh, with the broad Catholic Church, you know, the Catholic Church that we affirm in the Apostles' Creed, uh, not just the Roman Catholic Church. But we also have a, a, a counselor coming in, a psychologist who's written on this subject, who's going to address this. We have people coming from other historical perspectives, a homiletical approach. Also, so we're just trying to come at a place to develop one cohesive argument. And actually, I don't think this has been done. You know, there's been kind of the liberal side, the conservative side, but people haven't addressed rather or not this is a, a matter of dogma. And our goal is to present this as a book. And so this will all come together and be something that people and pastors will be able, uh, be able to use and it'll be help us train pastors in the future. So you can go on and you can access this. You don't have to be on just live with us, though you could be. Um, if you sign up for the the event and that, that $50 fee, you'll get access to all of the videos, and we'd love for you to participate that way. It's going to be happening here in, in the Jackson area, Jackson, Mississippi, 
um, and we have a, probably 10 more seats available for the event itself. If you're interested in that, you can contact us at WBS as well. But uh, really, this is an opportunity for us to bring these sharp minds together who've studied within their discipline to be able to present this case. We think the church needs this, and that's our role as a seminary, kind of provide the intellectual and theological energy so that pastors can take this and boldly declare that this is a part of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, Dr. Miller, it's Fred Jackson here. Hi, Fred. Uh, it's interesting, of course, uh, as a ministry, we read what churches are saying with regards to this idea of uh, human sexuality. Uh, well, here's what I find interesting. I'm not reading any articles uh, where churches and pastors all of a sudden are compromising on adultery. Hello. <laughs> uh, or compromising on fornication. I mean, they're not saying we need to welcome the cheating husband into our churches. But I am reading articles from even some evangelicals saying we ought to put a welcoming sign out for homosexuals, for mm-hmm. transgenders. And what they're talking about is let's not be too confrontational. One uh, fairly high-profile high evangelical leader said, uh, you know, the Bible just whispers about homosexuality. Right. So what is it? They seem to be still taking a strong stand on husbands, you shouldn't be cheating on your wives, adultery or fornication. But all of a sudden, it is somewhat okay to be more opening about homosexuality. Yes. You know, this is one of those challenges is that there seems to be an openness towards homosexual behavior or even just kind of like the title or the name Gay Christian. And and I know AFA has a great book uh, that's just come out by uh, – MD Perkins on right. this subject, and so I really appreciate what I've seen seen from you all on that. Um, I, ultimately, I, I know this is a hard thing, and I know you all at AFR and AFA are working through this as well. Like we truly believe that the way people are going to flourish in life is to live God's way, and if God has clearly revealed Himself through the Scriptures of the Old New Testament, and if God created the world out of nothing, like we need to listen to what He says, and so ultimately, like it's in our good, in the good of the, of everyone to be able to fit into his plan. And yes, we, we might not be out there with placards calling people sinners, but at some point we do need to identify that this is not in the best interest of people. And while we accommodate and while we're like making sure that our arms are open, we want to, I think, I don't think anybody is saying, no, we don't want them, them here. Any, anybody who is, uh, has a, a identification in another way or not create inroads for people. But at the same time, there needs to come a place where we're willing to say, this is not God's best for you. And we're not going to just say, well, we can just disagree about this subject. This is a part of the of a necessary requirement for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and, and the deeper kind of theological issue I think there's at play is that there's also something clear about the distinction between men and women. Um, you know, just of the proto-evangelion that is a part of the of the Genesis story in the first three chapters of Genesis, and then how that's represented in Mary and how it's necessary for Jesus as a man to be born to a woman and the redeeming of creation. If we deny that, we're going to miss the gospel. So we, are, we feel like this is an area where we need to take a clear stand. And we're already taking a little heat for it, but we ultimately believe this is the good of every person. <laughs> Hey, it's Chris here. I have a question for you regarding the uh, the analysis and discussion of the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, you know, people are familiar, believers, they're familiar with uh, scriptures like, um, you know, all, all scriptures inspired by God for all kinds of reasons like instruction and correction. 
doctrine, stuff like that. But some Christians are still confused on how much uh, time we should put into a study of the Old Testament. Why, why should we in 2023 still be reading and studying and talking about the Old Testament? Oh, man, what a great question. And uh, our president here, uh, Matt Ayers, who occasionally comes on uh, AFR as well, is an Old Testament scholar. And so I better answer this question well. But I think Jesus seemed to value the Old Testament a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems that in order for us to understand the nature of God's redeeming work altogether, we cannot throw out the clear way that he has revealed himself through the Old Testament. And the nature of, of uh, sexuality and understanding the challenges of, of kind of transcending cultures and understanding understanding the differences that are involved with the way that we interpret Scripture. I mean, there are challenges there, but I think it's worth fighting through that. Like, I I do a, a daily Bible read. I read through the Bible in a year. Some people will call me a legalist for doing that, but I just love it. I love getting the full story. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm in I'm in a por- portion of the first five books of the Old Testament that are, can be tough to read at times. Nevertheless, like, we can sense, like, just a little bit of study, and we have a variety of courses at Wesley Biblical Seminary to help even lay people get to understand the Old Testament, or not just people training to be pastors, but it's so important for us just to understand a little bit of the cultural clues that can help us discern maybe the difference in the laws and knowing the difference between moral, ceremonial, and civic laws and how that applies to how we understand Jesus's revelation that we see within the, in the, in the Gospels. Um, so we just really encourage people, don't jump over it. This is a part of how God has revealed himself, and he's speaking to us through the Old Testament as well. So don't skip it. Our guest has been Dr. Andy Miller, who's vice president of academic affairs and assistant professor of historical theology at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Dr. Miller, uh, next time we have you on, I would like to have you on again. I, I want to encourage you Next time, try to be a little more enthusiastic and a little more, <laughs> a little more energetic about your topic because, uh, man, you just yeah. so laid back. No, listen, I'm sorry. We appre- man, yeah. No, no, we appreciate that kind of enthusiasm for the honor and glory of God Almighty and the defense of His Word. Uh, that that is a welcome, welcome respite from some of the. I'm just going to be honest. The mealy mouth kind of milk toast kind of uh, exegesis and and scriptural interpretation that we're getting nowadays from a lot of people in the evangelical community. It's very sad. All right, before we let you go, all right, we have had you on to talk about this diverse gathering of scholars who are going to be addressing this weekend the question, is God's gift of sexuality mere human opinion or church dogma? And uh, let our listeners know again about the website where they can get more information. You do have a few seats open for people who want to be there in person, but also uh, for those who want access to the material either live or after the fact, uh, tell us the uh, website. Yeah, that again, just go to wbs.edu. Also, you know, we're really appreciative to AFR and uh, your your blog, The Stand, published some information on this. They can find that there. Um, we would love to have people participate in this. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be dense, like in this sense. And and I I don't don't be afraid because I said that this is a scholarly gathering. We think that there are some conversations that need to have a robust intellectual foundation, and then that then lays the seeds for our job as a seminary to train trust 
trusted leaders for faithful churches. So we want your pastors, we want your pastors to have that sort of academic foundation so that they can bring the fruit of that to the church. And ultimately, it comes back to that question. Do faithful Christians just disagree on this? And we're suggesting that the answer is no. Like uh, I had, I have a podcast. It's nothing like AFR or anything like that. Uh, when I'm on there, I had uh, Oz Guinness, the great um, British scholar, came on. And I asked him the question. I said, well, Oz, some people say faithful Christians just disagree here. And he said to me, faithful to whom? Ooh. And I think that that's the question. Like, who are we faithful to? Like, we're faithful to Jesus and his word, and that's what we want. So go to wbs.edu. You can sign up. It's $50. You get this, and you can access those 10 hours worth of lectures after it's over at any time you want. We'd love for you to participate. If we can help you in any way at WBS, from WBS, we want to continue to serve the church and serve pastors who are training to serve faithful churches all across the country and the world. Well, we look forward to the book version of that when you yes. guys get that uh, out. Thank you, uh, Dr. Miller, for being on with us. It's my honor. God bless you all. All right. Thank you. Listen. <laughs> I can't imagine guys, being in his class. Trying to drinking take out of a fire hose. Taking notes. <laughs> my professors were like, why are you even teaching? Like, they were so burned out. Yeah. That guy was a breath of fresh air. He sure was. But that is, that you're drinking out of a fire hose in his class. <laughs> yeah. You leave that class shaking your hand and go on. Another, another uh, hour and a half in Dr. Miller's <laughs> class. <laughs> All right. Well, our, our thanks also to Wesley Biblical Seminary uh, in Ridgeland, Mississippi, for being faithful to God's word. We are always appreciative for those who will stand for the truth. Now we're going to follow that up with another guy who's like drinking out of a fire hose and who's also faithful uh, to God's word and the the truth of uh, God, the revelation of God's word. Dr. Alex McFarland, very popular part of our AFR team, co-host of Exploring the Word, heard weekdays at 3 p.m. Central Time on AFR. Alex, welcome back. Well, good morning, guys. And uh, hey, let me ask, can you hear me okay? Because I'm on a kind of a remote gizmo, but can you hear me okay? Hey, the gizmo sounds okay. We, we can we can uh-huh. handle that. It's uh, a little different than, but it's it's fine. Uh, well, we, we can tell we can tell you're using a gizmo though. So I, well, love, I just love that word, gizmo. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's the, the technical, uh, <laughs> you know, precise term, gizmo. But yes, wow, um, your, your previous guest, he was certainly a blessing to listen to. Absolutely. We were just thrilled with that was Dr. Andy Miller from uh, Wesley um, Biblical Seminary. Um, Alex, we had you, we wanted to have you on. I know we've kind of uh, shortened your uh, your segment here a little bit, but uh, there, there, is some, there is some news of... Uh, a move of God uh, at Asbury Theological Seminary uh, starting, I think it was just yesterday, this week. And sometimes these things are a, are a one-day thing where people just, the, the, the students just seem to get into praise and worship, and it's not necessarily an extended, you know, weeks-long or months-long uh, awakening. But uh wanted to know if you knew anything about that, and then to speak more broadly to the subject of revival, because our nation spiritually is parched, and if we could have an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, uh, it might very well save the republic. So I'm going to turn you loose. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, what a blessing. Do you know, as long as I've been a Christian, uh, guys, I've heard about the 1970 Asbury Revival. And, uh, you know, as a Christian, I've been to, you know, lots and lots of revival services and Bible conferences, and it's all great. But, you know, a revival 
Uh, it, by the way, that's a combination of two words that means a return to the things that bring life. Re revival literally in Latin means life again. And at Asbury College in 1970, like February of 1970, uh, there was a great move of God. Now, what's so cool is, guys, this was a part of what I, I believe is a legitimate Great Awakening, and it was come to be known as the Jesus Movement. And some of you might be aware there's a movie coming out that yes. I think uh, Greg Laurie has been uh, about uh, John Irwin, a producer, and Greg Laurie called The Jesus Revolution. And guys, in the late 1960s, and the reverberations of this went up to probably the early 1980s, but there was a movement of God called The Jesus Movement. And the Asbury Revival in 1970 was part of that. And what's so exciting about what happened yesterday at Asbury College, uh, which I think is in Kentucky, Willamore, Kentucky, I think it is, isn't it? Or uh, uh, we'll, we'll check on or, that. So but, it was at the college, not the seminary, right? Yeah, as I understand it, yesterday okay. they, they started to have just an ordinary chapel service, and it ended up being like a 12-hour praise service. And students that were there are saying that, like, they didn't even know the time went by. It, it was just amazing, uh, a move of God. And see, that's what happens in revivals. And I, I've been in meetings where the Lord really showed up. People got saved. People were repenting of sin. And th the whole atmosphere in the room changes. People that have been in a, a place where... God really moved. You, you know what I'm talking about. The, right. the whole ambiance of the room is different. You forget about time. And one last thing, and then I want to throw it to you guys. But what's exciting to me is, Ed, uh, that our nation is very parched right now. Uh, honestly, the, the salvation of the republic hangs in the balance. And generally, if you look from the American Revolution, First and Second Great Awakenings, um, early 20th century, the Jesus movement, major awakenings seem to happen in about 50-year increments. So if the past is any predictor, uh, right now, like right now, we are at the point if the church would pray and the Spirit of the Lord would show up, God would move. It would be a sweeping cultural tsunami of God's presence and God's truth. And if the past is any um, template, then it's time that we have another big revival. You know, it's interesting. Fred here, Alex. Uh, it, it is interesting. The image that I have in my mind is a pendulum. And you, you mentioned that 50-year period. Uh, I, I would be difficult to argue that we haven't moved a long way away from God in this country in the last 50 years. Right. Uh, when when we have in this country uh, Christians uh, losing their jobs, being hauled into court uh, because they won't make a cake for a homosexual wedding or mm. flowers for a homosexual wedding. Uh, so, and this is all in the last 15, 20 years. And then you add on to that, we have major denominations in this country who are now splitting over the issue of homosexuality, uh, allowing yeah. homosexual pastors in the pulpit, all of that sort of thing. So it's interesting, these 50-year increments that you're talking about. What, what, is, what is the proof of a revival? Does it, is it the 
meeting like this itself, or do we wait to see what comes out of these meetings? That's a great question. Uh, that is a really great question. Um, by the way, there's some really good books. Uh, one book is called Rediscovering Our Evangelical Heritage. Um, uh, another great book that is very accessible and easy to read is uh, Church History in Plain Language by Bruce Shelley. But here's the thing, uh, Fred. Um, in, in any revival, there are four common traits. Prayer, uh, evangelistic urgency, repentance, and a return to biblical authority. Now, there can be great meetings, very exciting, uh, emotionally charged worship services, yes. But a true awakening results in cultural transformation. I would argue, and I'm, I'm dating myself here, but honestly, the, um, the two-term Reagan revolution of the 80s was really, and, and there were a lot of good things that went with that, came about as a result of the Jesus movement. And, and really, I would say the emergence of uh, the American Family Association, James Dobson, Chuck Colson, Phyllis Schlafly, those, those movements, uh, which consist to this day, were an absolute outgrowth of what God was doing in the 70s. Um, so if we have an awakening and the dear Lord knows we need it, um, yes, souls will be saved but the culture will be redeemed. And frankly, the very, very survival of America depends on an awakening right now. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, I would also include D. James Kennedy in that and all, all, the, the, all those groups. But you know what else God did during that time? Not just those organizations. He, uh, and you'd have to say that it was the hand of the Lord. He also uh, led people to start Christian legal firms. Okay, that yes. that right John now, Whitehead. absolutely, that right now are defending the liberties that we have in this country. I think we, I, th- this is not a uh, America is greater than any other nation on the planet kind of statement, but I, I think it's without argument that if America goes, Western civilization goes with it. And, and oh, I'm yeah. talking about liberty. I, I'm talking about the fact that we would enter into a, a dark age of tyranny and dictatorship. Uh, that uh, could signal the end. Who knows? But uh, yes. anyway, oh, that is. I, 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 I hate to. I, I hate to end our discussion. We'll have a, a longer discussion with you about this, Alex, because we are in desperate need of it. But I do want to thank you for all you do. You travel a lot and minister to a lot of young people. We take note of that and are grateful for it. So thank you for being on with us. God is good. Bless you all. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. We're going to take a five minute break for news. Listen. Where else are you going to go for the news of the day and discussions about revival but American Family Radio? Five-minute break for news, and we will be back with more. You'll want to join us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. American Family